Okay, now we're just waiting for the live stream to connect. Okay, we're good to go. So Yay. we are back today um, for the Creativity Talks, myself, Crystal Hosha, and Renee Urbanovich. Um, and today we have a special guest. Um, we're here with Allison Mondell, who is a teaching artist, a voice and creativity coach, a scholar in medieval music and director of the award-winning women's ensemble, Aya Medieval Music. So we're very excited to talk to Allison today. Thank about you, creativity. Crystal. Yeah, Thank such a you. pleasure to have you. It's awesome. Yeah, so um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how I found Aya, but probably on Instagram. Um, and of course, I immediately fell in love with Aya because I'm also in love with Hildegard of Bingen. <laughs> and so anyone else who's in love with Hildegard of Bingen, um, I am immediately like my people, totally my people. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'd love to just like kind of yield the floor to you and and hear, you know, how how did this journey start for you? How did you get into the music? How did you hear about Hildegard? You know, all these things. So wherever you feel like starting. I'll tell you the very first thing. <clears throat> I was um, studying music. I was an undergrad. I was 19. And I got a CD in the mail. It was a CD I'd ordered. Remember when you like ordered CDs from like places that only sold CDs? And it was a Renaissance polyphony CD. And I was obsessed with Renaissance music. Mm -hmm. And the first track was a chant by Hildegard. I put it on my boom box, hit play. And the first sort of strains I remember it as clear as day. It was like, and it, it, I call it my thunderbolt moment. It was really, it was really this, <clears throat> I felt like I stepped into a, through a portal and I wouldn't have been able to define it as such at that time. I was young and I, I was just thinking, this is very different. This is amazing. What, what is this? And that was the launching off point where I, I said, well, I need to sing this celestial thing. And I got some staff paper. I didn't, I was so green. I didn't, in this one sense of that word, where I, I didn't understand how to research things. So I thought, well, I'll just make my own version of this. So I took some stock paper and a pencil and I wrote out what I heard and, you know, used the liner notes. And I, I would go to the chapel at night and I would sing in the chapel and I walked down the aisle and I just romanced this chant. Wow. And then I, I decided to pursue graduate studies in music and I took my chant and a few other very unpolished works with auditions and I ended up attending the Lodge School of Music and working with Laurie Monahan, who was thank god I didn't know this like one of the preeminent teachers of Hildegard's music like certainly on the like the east coast of the United States but was just part of the early movement with Sequencia in Basel and her own ensemble um, tapestry and this just sort of this strong female voices representing this music mm -hmm. and understood there's this sort of sense of 
entering the Hildegard temple <laughs> and that there were these priestesses like guarding it. Wow. And that was, that was a bit of a shadow side that I encountered. That's a whole other story, but, um, but it was really like sensing like this is, this is a, not just repertoire that we sing, but this is entering into a, a sacred relationship wow. with, a, with a saint, with a mystic, with one who's seen and heard the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And I think importantly, sort of seeing the trajectory of that first sort of moment of listening and that sort of my entree into that world was through music, through this being touched by the power and the potency of that music. Wow. Which we all know is very special for a very real reason. <clears throat> but then sort of dancing in my own sort of way through the years and sort of coming away from Hildegard and then being brought back into the fold and having some really wild opportunities being handed to me as an interpreter and then um feeling like I need a break I need a break but no 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 there's no breaks I feel like I'm getting drawn deeper and deeper and deeper as as I let go of needing it to be something Mm. like I'm a scholar of medieval music I'm like a a, an editor a translator like when I shed the layers of my like academic sort of um professional music sort of identities and come into this sort of heart-centered mystic identity and obviously all those things are rolled into one thing Mm -hmm. as we know but for me it's it's the journey of shedding what I thought I was a musical interpreter Mm -hmm. to um a human being who's here to do so much more than just sing the notes on the page wow yeah absolutely that's so beautiful that embodies the idea of creativity Allison because when you lose yourself in the act right or in in the essence of the thing you lose your ego you lose any concern for the outcome you you're just in with the thing that it is and if for you it was sacred and it was just the actual being with the music that she wrote and not worrying about how it was going to land on your resume or what it would bring you so the thing you were tired of was pressing forward and making your niche known right this is my niche this is what i'm doing and i got to keep doing it because i'm the first and no one else is doing it and then when you let go of that you became even closer and that's art right that's when it becomes art is in that moment when you forget the doing of it and become one with it. But do you know what a hard lesson that was? I bet. Well, you were young. Oh no, this is like last year. (laughs) 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 Let me explain, but I completely agree. You can. I can, yeah. I mean, moving for me, moving from academia to sort of extricating the patterns that academia embedded in me 
the way of being that academia can embed in you um, is in, in many ways, in my perspective, it's, it's the antithesis of the creative process. Nice. Um, it's not always, of course, but it can be. And uh, yeah, so just kind of relearning how to be creative um, by like getting rid of the critic, getting rid of the identity, getting rid of the attachment and, you know, what it means about you and all that stuff has really opened me up as well. Um, and yeah, Hildegard's been a part of that journey too. So like, well, I'm going to have to get the book and I'm going to have to start singing the chant. Oh yeah. <laughs> something, something else you said, Allison, that I loved and that Crystal and I, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. So it's so exciting to have you come on and be sharing very, very similar thought forms, like similar discoveries, similar epiphanies, yeah. those, those cathartic moments. And, but what you said that I loved was romancing. Mm -hmm. Roman, and, and so the whole idea of romancing our, our art or um, our spiritual practice or whatever it is we're doing, just romancing it instead of uh, the drudgery or the dread or the, you know, productivity of it, right? Slog. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Slog. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's something that I wish, you know, you know, coming through musical training and coming out of the sort of younger sort of period in your 20s where you're like I love music I just want to sip it I just want to know it I want to I want to be with it and now I'm like oh it's my job mm. just do it and I've I've sensed that like when I'm sometimes feel say what do you listen to I'm like I don't listen to anything you know what that's not true what I listen to are the same 80 songs that I listen to all over and over and over because they're my friends and I just want to I don't want to sort of go there and that's that's a little bit of the sort of walking away from that romance mm -hmm. but but then what I'll do is I'll hear that voice that says, why don't you go to the bookshelf? Mm. That one. And I pull that one off and I open it up and I go. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, of course, it was just what I needed to read. I'm like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's not so much the music that is something that I want to sort of canoodle with in the stairwell, but it's, it's the being, it's the, it's the, it's what I said to you earlier before we went live, which is I'm so grateful to be sharing at a level where we're, we're equals. And when I read, say, a mystical voice, or I read a vision, I don't feel like I'm like, I'm not worthy, or I'm not there, but I feel like I'm with a sister or a brother. And I feel like all of the things that I, I, sit with in my mind and in my heart and in my being are not just validated but deeply affirmed and shared on the pathway and so that's a different kind of romance that's certainly awakening for me mm -hmm. Hildegard as a sister is in every way a part of that too Mm -hmm. And I, I sense, I sense her presence. I sense her voice working through me. I, wow. I feel that communication and 
even looking at my own work now, and especially perfectly related to what you both do, which is understand the sort of consciousness of creativity. Mm. And, and, you know, Hildegard is like the patron saint of creativity, mm. a polymath who has just mm-hmm. surrendered everything to God and said, use me, here I am. Totally. And I'm like, that's what I want too. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a new chapter beyond the the construction of the music, the interpretation. And all of those things are not uninteresting to me. Mm-hmm. And indeed, what I see more than ever is that people are hungry for this kind of accessibility. Yeah. Which is something that's really important to me. Like, we don't have to put this music on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. It's... It's something that we have the agency to 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 live and breathe and and explore for ourselves, being you know a refraction of that, our unique refraction of that potent power of her music, of spirit, of whatever's coming through, through the unique you know the lens of us touching myself like this. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, like channeling that energy and that it, yeah. that you know that. I think of it really as a courtship. It's it's a courtship for Hildegard with with God, right? As an abbess, as a nun, you know, and with us as well as with spirit, whatever you want to call it, and a courtship with her across the ages, you know, this work that she laid out in love through her being a polymath, which was not an identity of hers, but just a truth because she used yes. herself as an instrument. Right. Yes. And of course, what are you going to, what are you going to be? If you, if you see yourself as an instrument, of course you become a polymath because any inherent intrinsic um, human capacity for creation will be used. You'll use that to, to the disposal of being, you know, an instrument. Right. So. And I mean, all spirituality aside, um, think of all the art works of art that were destroyed in war destroyed in revolutions we lost them yeah. just the fact that when, when when was she alive like 800 i don't even know 11th century what 12th century her dates are 1098 to 1179 so she was born in the 11th century but lived primarily through the 12th century just, so just it's think, not over 900 years yes it's but, astonishing yeah, but that it, that it's astonishing yeah. that And that all the different voices throughout those hundreds of years that have been able to channel her or just sing those notes. Like, I think it's pretty cool that in the 1920s, we started with the whole jazz, you know, 1928. And and we can we get to sing a song again and again and again in a new and a different way. Right. And that's just from albums. There was no album. There was no recording. There was no digital recording or analog recording. It's all just written down for, um, and that that language is still alive. To me, I mean, that's that brings a spirituality to it because it that's what creativity does. It it connects eras. It connects totally. with dead people. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and I the love odds that. the odds that those um, that her like tablature or whatever you want to call it, um, I can't think of the word. The odds that they survived 
or so small. And it just so happened, I think before, you know, her Abbey got ransacked in a war that the the nuns like sent it off to another place in Germany or something like they yeah. sent it off to Berlin. I can't remember exactly. Really? It's, it's a, yeah, yeah, there's like a caper. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a screenplay. It sounds like someone has to write a screenplay. It would be really, really good or a really be. good novel. Yeah. Um, Crystal, I love what you said. It really touched me about a courtship. And that that courtship, that sort of personal relationship with the creator, with Christ as well. I mean, there's there's different layers of courtship there, but it's it's a beautiful thing when you when you think about that co-creation. And and I think I sense that's something you were talking about, Renee, which is that when we step into the role of interpreter, we are co-creating with the artist, with the composer, with the writer, with whomever, with the spirit of the song, Ah. right? The sort of, if you think of the, the demon, I'm just, I'm just, that's just coming to me that demon in the, on the highest sense of that word of the song, Deva, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so beautiful to see how some the songs choose us sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And that's, you know, when we talk about accessibility too, that's something that I personally want to be an empowerer for people to say, this is not just for singers or specialists or what have you make it make the relationship your own have have a courtship and i think also there's this wonderful aspect of of the fact that she was a saint of a a a master and we see the ways in which the saints speak to all of us at such an individual level and i think that's something that's struck me over the years at present company included like how we all are building relationship with this person but not just her like the essence of what was coming through her and how that was special and unique to her and now it's special and unique to us yeah Yeah. do you find that Sorry. Do you find that the audience is also a participant in that? Because I, I, I perform sometimes, but I wouldn't really say I'm a performer. But I think any any performer from you know punk music to whatever will say that there's a rapport that happens with the audience, you know, and that the audience really is not a passive recipient of of the music, and so they're they're just as much a participant in that courtship and in that. in that relationship, right? Yeah. And so the performer in many ways is like, is bringing, is channeling that, that w- whatever it is they're singing and yeah. regard especially um, so that I the audience can interact be. and be, a, be an active participant, you know, in that creative act. It's an exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. In that totally. moment with that audience. Um, I loved your little Instagram uh, of you singing at one of the churches 
in Europe, Crystal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I was, yes, I, I, saw sing, that. I sang some Hildegard, but I did not post that one on, I'm I'm a little bit of an amateur. So I was singing Vakai, because um, I, I practice bel, bel canto, which is yeah. um, like the Italian, you know, older or younger sister, I guess I should say, of, of Gregorian chant. Like Gregorian chant is part of the origin story of bel canto. And I just happened to meet a wonderful bel canto teacher who is Italian, whose mother was from Italy, who also taught bel canto, where I live here in Washington. And uh, I've been practicing for about a year and a half now. And I happened to be at an, a retreat in Italy. And on the premises of the retreat, this old Italian castle that they've converted into a retreat center, um, there was a church. And they let me have the key. And so every day I was there. Uh, every day. I, I didn't every know. day I was there. I went into that church. And there were definitely, you know, those moments where I, I mean, a church is it is literally orchestrated. It is the architecture and everything is orchestrated so that you are connecting to the divine. And there were moments where where I got to have that experience as a singer. And that was just beyond anything, you know, I could, I could um describe to you and that's actually Allison where I the song I was singing Oquam Magnum Miraculum Est yes. um, by Hildegard that's where I made my translation of that song um, because as I've seen you write in some of your newsletters about you know kind of how do we sing these songs as women and how do we you know how do we relate to it and I'm curious actually to to hear your perspective on that how how has that evolved for you and how do you kind of you know make peace with that with um this kind of uh 12th century language that has a lot around the fall and around eve and around the, the woman as the sinner and um, yeah. all that stuff like how how does that work for you this is such a good question i know i can't wait you you go girl <laughs> <laughs> I would say in early days, I didn't even notice. Uh, just like, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. Who am I? You know, just and understanding this is the music, this is the text. It's it's not really up to me. Mm -hmm. And then 2020 came. And I was it was pre-pandemic and I was the way I put programs together, I look at texts. I just look at texts and it's completely intuitive. And one jumps off and says, look at me now. This is what you need to look at. And so I was looking at all of these Marian texts in, of Hildegard's songs. And I noticed, I've been seeing these songs for 20 years. Uh. And I noticed for the first time the vast majority, I would say like 95% of these songs all ended with this very, uh, my word, disturbing treatment of Eve. It's such a contrast to, you know, obviously the contrast is purposeful. Hildegard is a product of the 12th century. There's no escaping that. You can read any of her visionary books there's dogma and there's fire and brimstone and it is sometimes a deep struggle to say how is this person my hero 
who is also saying these terribly outdated pedantic things. I don't have a clear answer about that, but I will go back to the original question. As I was looking at these songs, I'm like, I don't like this. I want to know more about this. So I started sitting with them and I just, again, singing through them and, and just being with them, building relationship with them. And I, I recognized like something needed to be said. I wanted to do, I wanted to say something about this. I'm like, we need to reclaim Eve is what I wanted to say, because I don't believe these things and I don't feel them as truths. And here's the yummiest part. <laughs> and here's where I think we as the 21st century interpreters taking an ancient text or a song get to say, I'm going to say this in a new way. And by doing so, I'm laying down gently my gauntlet and I'm saying, this will not do. That doesn't mean I lack any respect for it or admiration or connection, but it's deepened my well. And what happened was that the creative response was on fire. Mm -hmm. And can I tell you, I wanna tell you, Crystal, the song that you mentioned, Oquam Manu Miraculum, is that, am I getting that correct? Thank yeah. you. Much better. So less I, I, I missed the word. I read that text. I'm like, we need to talk about this text. I had an idea because what I wanted to do, and we were then in virtual land and I was building a program and a season and it was insane. And I decided, I want to talk to some kids about this. And I had a colleague and I said, I would really be grateful if we could talk to your kids. She had a girls choir at a Catholic school. Wow. <laughs> so I wanted them to be part of the piece. And so what I did was I, I had them all. I, I talked to them. We did some singing. We did, we talked about this. And then I said, I want to know what you think about this text. And I asked them to record like on their phone, a response. They could, it could be a poem. It could be a, a just talking off the cuff. It could be anything, whatever their creative response was to this. Uh, what I would go out on a limb to say is sort of pretty inflammatory language about Eve and, mm -hmm. and women. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool. And so here's what we did. My colleagues and I, as we were in the concert hall, we were on, we were videotaping this gorgeous video. We were humming the tune and I was, I was playing the symphony. We had a drone and we were humming. And then I made this pastiche of the girls' voices, like, I think Eve this, and I don't know what's going on. How can we do this? And then someone's yeah. like, I think this is going on. 
And it was all of their wonderful personalities and their voices. And I wove it all together and it was the freaking coolest thing. <laughs> and so here we made a new thing. And the whole program was called Beguiled. Ah. Beguiled. The serpent beguiled me, she says. But really, and how we've all been beguiled. It's brilliant. And, and to just say, this is what we can do with our creativity. And at the end, of, it gives me chills to think about how that came from one idea mm -hmm. and blossomed into this structure and this collaboration and there was an, a, another wildly creative collaboration with another artist in Vienna and she wrote a new narrative of Eve it was her name is Shanda Rule and she's brilliant and she sings jazz she's amazing she's also like a minister and she wrote this text and recorded it with a jazz basis <laughs> So then we would go from Hildegard to Shanda, Hildegard to Shanda. It was insane. And it was all this way of looking at ancient music and ancient ideas, dogma, rhetoric, things that make us feel uncomfortable because they don't resonate right now. And saying, here's how we're going to whether or not we reconcile with these things, we can at least say, I, my eyes are open and I'm treading here on the ground that I choose to tread. If that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It was awesome. And I love how you gave the girls a voice. How you oh, asked them that how was they so felt. exciting. And, and so that you didn't teach them how to respond. You didn't teach them how you didn't tell them how that that was their response and then they got to express it and then you incorporated it in the work itself and little did they know they, they thought they were just being um um tended to like well what do you think and look what it became a, a so question for everybody and a collaboration i think there's nothing better than like a surprise collaboration because magic happens totally so is, is this available to watch? Can we watch this? Is it on YouTube? Is it? I'm going to, no, I should make it available. No, it's. Yes, you should. I will. I will. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, having a dialogue about, you know, biblical interpretation um, is kind of, you know, tricky and dangerous and um, get yourself in trouble. But like, so well, let's not do it. But. Um, like anything, you know, there's anachronistic things um, that went on in history and everyone's pretty eager to, you know, eradicate certain statues or certain textbooks or certain um, movies that aren't allowed anymore. And so if we don't want to toss out the entire Bible, how about we just reinterpret things and um, put it in, you know, the, our era in context in a decent context to where we've evolved now because obviously we don't think the world is flat anymore and obviously the sun we don't revolve what is it the sun 
<laughs> you know, it's Sun doesn't revolve around the earth. No, I totally no. understand. <laughs> totally yeah. understand. Yeah. And that's, that's the license and not, and beyond that, the sort of calling that I have regarding Hildegard's works. It's, it's something that I, you know, as I was saying before, I didn't even think about it. And now it's, 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 it's not even like, I feel my conscious mind doing it. It feels like a, ch a channeling. And one of my favorite things to do as I teach this music is to walk through text and say, oh, whoa, did, what about this? Oh, I wonder about this and this and this and this. And look at all the layers and look at the ways in which we can now, as you were saying, Renee, like see it in our context, in a context that isn't just writing it over, but embracing it and weaving it into our tapestry. Absolutely. Versus Eve. Yeah. Regarding Hildegard, weaving Eve. I'm, I'm hearing all your poetry, Allison, in your speech. I love it. It's 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 a funny place to be, and this is sort of a weird thing that's been happening, which is like, I thought I was just a musician. Now I have all these things to say about spirituality and consciousness and creativity. Like, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. It's this just, it's, um, it's such a delight. Oh. And I do find myself on the outside of things where I'm like, can we please talk about the consciousness conversation in this song? Or let's talk about what is spiritually happening here. Mm -hmm. Crystal, you said something about academia and if I'm gonna just sort of say this out loud on the internet <laughs> it's just <laughs> not something I do lightly although I joke that I'm light-footed but dead serious so um you're talking about the sort of absence of the creative process as we look at topics, subjects, using the mind, the, the conscious mind to cognitively sort of suss it out and analyze and, and, and I'm painting with the biggest, broadest brush here. And my husband is an academic. And what I see sort of in a different area, which is music, the professional music arena, certainly in what I'm going to consider where I'm a member, which is the classical music arena. And I am a specialist in early music and that's, that's also sort of tied in there. But I came through conservatory training and I have pounded the pavement and I have put in so much blood, sweat and tears to build a music career. Mm -hmm. And now as I come into this sort of with a wider lens of what music is speaking to, how it's speaking to us and what its capacity and role is, I sense this spiritual illness mm. that so many of us have taken on in regards to performance, in regards to 
having agency to take a song and go into the deepest levels or layers of the song versus the surface details and how I may accomplish them. And making it presentable. And- yes. And our fixation on the quality mm-hmm. and the, the sort of quality of rendering. Are you is- talking about execution alone? Yes. Okay. Production and execution. Okay. Yes. And so what, what I was obsessed with was, does this sound good enough? Mm-hmm. And then I can take it into public. Like I won't melt into a puddle. Right. With someone's judgment. That's the classical world though, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. So you're saying there's an illness across the board because we're obsessed with presentation, with execution, with dotting our I's and crossing our T's rather than the content and the subject matter and how it's supposed to make us feel. And the creative act. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like anything else, even in pop music, if you don't have the chops to sing, yeah. sing your ass off and you crack and you, your voice gives out halfway through the concert, you know, concert the, the rock show, if you don't have execution, you can't do your art. You have to have proper technique. It ha- you're allowed to express yourself differently than a classical realm. But yeah. so all of that, there's a context, once again, context, right? If you don't have the chops to present your classical piece, your Hildegard piece, whatever, then no one can listen to you. So it, it's going to fall anyway. So there's the creativity on the, what did we say? My, mini, 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 the, the, the ma- yeah, with a macro and the micro. Is that what we say? You and I say micro, macro, but right. uh, Daniel Cape was saying mini C and capital C. Right. So personal creativity versus like the shared creativity, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, and that's why it is so strict, right? Because if, if people, and that, and that's why certain people like, let's say Jubilant Sykes, he was my first classical teacher and my last. Um, and he, because he broke the rules to classical and he moved and he sang classically, but he broke the rules. And so I, I think that there's a whole idea of taking, you know, what you have to do to be in that genre and to be heard and then break the rules. And for you, for classical, if breaking the rules is feeling something, right, and going off pitch one tiny second because of your heart, then that then you're breaking the rules. Yeah. What I see is, and sort of the the counter to that is, I'm, you know, in the middle of my career, and I've chosen that. But I'm thinking about all of the kids in school that are going to, you know, and not all teachers are, are the same. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about, and this is, this is something that was really lighting my fire too, how younger people are able to be more conscious and choose what they buy into. Right. Are you going to buy into a message that says, do it perfectly or you hit the skids? <laughs> <laughs> How poison, it's like freaking poison. Right. And I see so many young people struggling with that. And it's, 
it it's hurts me. Yeah. And I think, of course, of my own time going through the mechanism of training and also understanding how limiting that was. Totally. It didn't feel very creative at all. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, that was so unnecessary. Wow. And at the same time, because I, I can also see the, the greater wisdom, like I also know it was perfect for me. Like that was, that was my education. Like I'm able to be here now talking about this with this sort of looking backwards and saying that happened. What's my response? Mm. And how am I being led, guided? to lead, to say, why don't we think about how we can choose consciously about how we show up with our voice, how we can be creative, how we can also, and this is, I'm sure this is something that you will resonate with, cultivate an individual's artistry and genius. And there, like Hildegard was a polymath and she didn't think she was a polymath. It was just moving through her because she was she, her, right? Right. How you were you and I am me. And, and we have these amazing talents and skills and aptitudes and desires and tastes and personality quirks and idiosyncrasies and language and everything about us is going to refract the creative energy, Right. I love that refract. Just love it. And hello, why doesn't everybody know that? <laughs> it just feels like so important. Yeah. And um, and that's what just we just say. No, no, no. Do it like this. Well, you said something earlier about, uh, and maybe I just assumed you meant girls, about having the voice. You didn't say having the voice. I'm. I'm putting that spin on it to say, I, I don't want to sound like that. I don't, I don't want to. Um, that's not what I want to sound like. And so the idea that people can speak up and say, no, I want to sound like this in the middle of their classical training or their limiting training, the fact that they are younger and being able to stand up against something that they're not down to do. That's new. That's new. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, I find you know, most profound about Hildegard, one of the many things is that, you know, she wasn't a trained singer. She wasn't a trained scholar. She wasn't a trained artist. And it's disputed whether she did her own art or whether other people did it. Um, And, you know, she was singing to God like a child would sing to God. You know, she wasn't like, I am, I am this singer. I'm this, you know, um, trained person, you know, um, she was just singing with her sisters, with their voices lifting in the church, with with such a humility, um, especially with that perspective of the woman as kind of this humble vessel, right? One of that one of the kind of archetypal views of of women, a, a slightly more positive than one than the one we mentioned earlier. Um, and you know, now she's a doctor of the church. She's called a polymath. She, you know, she's all these official things now. When all she was doing was just embodying she was embodying right and so it's it's ironic that out of this you know 
this structure that do this, you know, whatever. Oh, now we're going to tell her she's a doctor of the church. Everyone, Hildegard's a doctor of the church. Like we finally given her some, uh, some cred, you know, after however many years that happened when, when she, it's, it's completely irrelevant to the truth of what she's conveying, right. And to her identity and to her experience of what she's conveying, you know, it comes, it comes so much later. Um, yeah. Well, and that's, and we can learn, speaking of voice, we can learn from her. I mean, I have never heard outside of you and, you know, Bible studies on Hildegard. I've never heard her voice um, or her songs, not, never, but we can want to mirror that, that she was so true to herself, mm-hmm. so true to what her heart wanted, that she just did it anyway. And really she didn't, I'm not going to say she died unfamous or like van gogh died before he was recognized she wasn't even a saint till recently right because she was a woman yeah it took a long time for sainthood and for the doctor of the church thing but she was a recognized abbess she had broken away from the male abbess and started her own abbey she was and she preached she was one of like the very very few if if maybe the only one of of females at that time who could publicly preach to people well, then, then, then she's literally the example of what we were just talking about we were yeah. talking about how when you were in school allison and um what were we saying we were talking about just how it was so liberating for you when you had a moment where you could really connect with with the the work itself and not worry about blah and not worry about the reception and not worry about you know the next thing on your resume whatever i mean i'm those are my words and so we can look at to Hildegard for that very thing that she she did she did what you did. She said, "I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry about if I'm gonna be an abbess or this or that. I I'm just gonna follow my heart and be communing with what I know to be my calling. I am summoned to write this. I'm not a professional. Well, there was no such thing as professional. But I'm not a trained musician. I'm gonna do it anyway. So we can learn from that, and we can see that she went through the same thing that we do." that we do that's i to that point and being embodied yes there's a really good story a wonderful story i want to tell you the story where she talks in one of her books about this first call from god to write what she sees and her first, this is, this is, I love this. So the first response is like, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> like, no. no. But uh, the Holy Spirit just kept coming, 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 coming. And the resistance was so extreme to this, what I call the sacred yes, right? To say, yes, I will do that. I commit that she became ill and couldn't get up from her bed. Wow. And then here's the best part. It's in these moments. And this is where I'd love to write about this because it's so human to have something big and scary and important in your life. And you're like, God damn it, it's so hard and I can't do this. I'm going to sit here and not think about doing anything because it's easier than actually making the choice. And finally, there's a break, there's a pivot, that moment when she says, I surrender. 
totally. I surrender. And it's really this moment, this sort of divine, the surrender to divine will mm-hmm. that it's that it's like you were just saying, Renee, like it's that movement into, I'm going to let myself be the instrument because the only thing my heart knows is this fire for God. How could it be any other way? And then you see from that moment, it's like, like the rest of her timeline is nothing but miracles and synchronicities and yeah fame and fortune and all that but as we were saying like that wasn't the thing it was here I am I'm showing up and when I meet resistance I'm gonna fall sick again and then I'm just gonna say okay 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 and we're gonna keep going and I'm gonna move into this and then as we see that creative energy that impulse just sort of weaves itself into all of these different aspects of who she was and where she lived and what was important to her. Um, it's a really good moment. And I think it's really cool because we are talking about someone from the 12th century to actually say, I know what that feels like. No, it's amazing. Yeah. I know what that feels like to be so scared and to be stuck in your head and to freak out. And I'm not even going to be tried for heresy, but it right. seems like I could sometimes. Yeah. Right. And to make yourself physically sick with resistance to what oh. is, right? <laughs> oh, it's a thing. It happens. It's normal. So human. Because it's, right. and to think about, and I think to put it into perspective, especially when we think about creative energy, she was so open she had the floodgates opened because that was that was one of the things that she was gifted with from the time she incarnated on the planet and that must have been so overwhelming but how could you walk around with so much inflow and hold it back Mm. And she says in one of the letters, she says, I have been plagued with anxiety from the time I was a child. Not one hour, she says this, not one hour has passed in which I have not been plagued with anxiety since I was a child. That's so friggin' real. I know. And I think this is a sister. But to know then, to know, and I think this is the hardest part for people who create human beings, but when we don't know what embodiment is like, like, I I don't know what it's like to have that thing work out. I don't know what it's like to have my genius touched. I don't know what it's like to have the career of my dreams. I don't know what it's like on the other side of this idea. Right. I don't know what a manifestation is like. I don't know what X, Y, and Z is like. So I'm just going to stay in the comfy zone, even though it's crushing me and I have anxiety. And then I see Hildegard's legacy. She surrendered to God. She did not grasp. And when she did grasp, 
it got ugly. And there are really a, a few times where she lost she lost control of that connection. It sort of and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I just realized that. And it's, it's okay, come back, come back, surrender, let go, let go, stop grasping, let it move through you. And what wondrous things happen, what miracles, what works, but not in the sort of sense that I'm creating like a piece or it's not a song, it's not a, a, a vision. It's just being available for what's coming through you. Totally. Right. And that's what we, we're not learning ever (laughs) that inspires me so much um just because resistance comes in many forms and sometimes for me it's self-doubt um and i'm relating very much um even though i'm not producing anything compared to hildegard it's it's a it's a it's a it's a mirrored version the creative process even way back then it's great that we have her journals or her letters and her writings. This incredible. is incredibly fascinating. Um, and it so just gets to show how that energy, that anxiety energy is, you know, it's kind of like the the floodgates, the effort of holding those floodgates shut, right? It's that, is that anxiety, the power of that energy, that that yeah. inherent creativity that she has, that's that God has that's flowing through her. And and that when we do have, when we do suffer, whatever, whether it's anxiety, whatever, however we're suffering, that suffering has the potency to be creativity, whether it's depression, whether it's, you know, it's that, it, it's that womb space, right, for the creativity to be birthed. And birth is a messy process and it hurts and it's bloody and it's poopy and whatever, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a really good metaphor as well. It's a lot of energy um, and the, it's it, for a creative person, the not knowing you said X, Y, and Z, um, we, sometimes we need to know. And, and so only, only when we take risks, can we get to the other side and see, yeah. see what it can bring us, you know, on the micro and then what it might bring others in the macro. I, we are just, I have got to talk to you again someday, Allison, because we have scraped the surface. You are so inspiring and so thoughtful. And, you know, it's right up my alley with the voice and this whole thing. This is just, uh, talk about synchronistic. I I don't, I want to talk to you all night. Like, you know, when you stay on the phone till like three in the morning, the first time. I'm like, we're just stop. (laughs) We are we are at the hour, and that's actually more than we usually go. We try always. To go we now. always stop at quarter till. And um, okay. anyway, Chris, but, why don't you guys sing our meditation? Sing oh my gosh, I thought about that, but I don't know how that's gonna work. Like, I maybe we can plan that for the next time or something. But what I would actually love to do, if you'll both indulge me, because if not here, then where? I I did as I shared with Allison. I I rewrote the lyrics to this song, the Hildegard song. And I'd love to share the Hildegard, of course, it's it's an English translation, so it's not her original words, but it's this the original translation, as well as my rewrite. Yeah. And I'll I'll read it very slowly as I, I feel that poetry is meant to be digested so that it it 
can be a meditation on on Hildegard's words because what better way to end it than with her work so let me pull that up briefly and if if y'all want to turn off your um your cameras and your mics you're welcome to do that and I'll go ahead and share some Hildegard Okay, so I should have had you introduce the title, Allison, because you pronounce it better than me, but it's O Quam Magnum Miraculum Est is the song. This is the original version. How great the wonder is. Into the female form subdued, the king has come. This God has done, for meekness mounts over all. And oh, how great the happiness is in that form. For malice, which from a woman flowed, a woman then this malice wiped away. And every sweet perfume of virtues she is raised, the heavens graced far more than ever the earth in chaos cast. And here is my, my rewrite, which just for a little context comes from my, you know, my spiritual practice in non-duality. Uh, which is non-separation, simply put. So how great the wonder is, into unconscious manifestation, consciousness has come, awareness has come. This love has done, for innocence mounts over all. And oh, how great the bliss in that form, for illusion, which from manifestation flowed, manifestation too, this illusion wiped away. And every sweet perfume of oneness she has raised, consciousness rejoiced far more than ever the earth in separation cast. So that's all for tonight. Thank you both so much. What a joyful and rich conversation that we've had. I agree. And that was just beautiful. And I love the translation. It, it, it touches me both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Renee, so much for having this beautiful conversation. It's such a privilege. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Crystal. Take care.